Tony Duchesne here. Welcome to episode 121 of Drinks with Tony with my guest, Chris Matheson. He wrote the Bill and Ted films, and I remember watching Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure when I was a young Jehovah's Witness kid. We talk about it during the interview. And it's funny how like the things like that in life can really put an important stamp on us when we were growing up. And then it makes me think of other things that put a stamp on little those little stamps in life when we're growing up. Like the first time I listened to the Loose Nut record by Black Flag. Loose Nut? Is he talking about, you know, down there? Like when I read On the Road by Jack Kerouac. Hey, Mom, I'm a beatnik now. Okay, honey, remember to make your bed. Like the night I lost my virginity at 25 years old. I think our wedding went all right. Do we uh, take our clothes off in front of each other or just show up to the bedroom naked? Like actually talking to the guy whose idea it was to write Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And it became a humongous movie and I saw it as a kid at the theater. (laughs) You wrote Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Yeah, that was cool. Hi, I'm Chris Matheson, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. And away we go. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Chris Matheson. He's a screenwriter and an author. His film credits include the three Bill and Ted movies and Rapture Palooza. His book's include the story of God and the trouble with God. And his latest book is called The Buddha's Story. Chris, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. There's a, there's definitely a spirituality in your work of sorts. There is. There is actually. It fascinates me. Yeah? Yeah. Well, it's it's one of the big subjects in life, it seems like. What, I mean, it is, what are we doing here? What is this? What's going on? Who are we? What are we supposed to do with ourselves? All that kind of stuff. I wake up every morning with all of those questions. <laughs> How are you doing? You coming up finding answers? No, it gets worse. It gets worse and worse and worse. It's like, it's like, um, Oh, wait, wait, I thought there was structure, but it's just chaos. And how are we staying on this earth? <laughs> yeah, right. It's uh, one of my favorite paintings, and I'm sure I'll get the title wrong, but it's a Gauguin painting. And it's basically called, Who Are We? Where Do We Come From? Where Are We Going? And it's just, man, that's right. That's, those, are, those are the questions. And, and religion, I think in a kind of a ultimately laughable way they come up with answers to those questions but they are at least asking those questions and it and it feels like it's part of the um it's part of the human condition of sorts that that makes the human condition lovely because it makes us all equal we can have the all we can all have the same existential dread of sorts right and and we're all equal because nobody knows the answers to any of those no, nobody has the ultimate you know, the pe- people say they do but i, I don't think they do because how could you why would you i mean and honestly how would you know even if you did if you were somehow fortunate enough to be the one who knew would you know you knew i don't think so you'd be like well 
I don't know. It would turn out you did after the fact. They go, hey, you were right. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess a lot of it is not only like, oh, wait, wait, what what the hell are we doing here? But what happens when we're nothing? What happens when it goes, what happens when the switch turns off? That's the one that seems to just freak people out, right? Freaks well, me how out. Can, how can that be? <laughs> how can that be? I mean, like, how can it just end? And like, suddenly I don't even exist and I'm nothing. And it, it, that seems to just, uh, that's a tough one. That's a, that's a hard pill to swallow, you know? Yeah. So, and it's, so the, uh, the, on this book, you, you, you got into the Buddha story and I was like, I, I was just, I, went, I I'm not sure what your beliefs are. <laughs> Um, it's, do you, do you, what are your beliefs? What, 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 what do you, what is your, um, you know, is it, if, if they had to put a label on you? I mean, I suppose I'm an atheist, you know, okay. if that, if that's what you're asking is, is that, mm-hmm. is that what, yeah. I mean, I, I don't believe any of the religious stories. I don't believe any of them. I think they're all made up. I, to me, they seem pretty obviously made up. And, um, but I don't, but in terms of what I do believe in, I mean, I believe life is beautiful and wonderful and amazing. And I, I think I believe in love and I believe in art. And I mean, there's things I believe in nature, you know, I believe in stuff, but in terms of a, an overarching story that explains it all, well, that seems laughable to me. Like, oh, come on. How could that be? You know, that makes no sense. To me. I, I just don't buy it. And, and I grew up, I didn't grow up in a religious household, but I did grow up in a religious household because my dad was very religious in his way. It was very new agey. He was really, really into new agey thinking, but he was deeply into new agey thinking. And that just defined my whole family and upbringing in many ways, Southern California, new age thinking in the seventies. And he thought he just knew the, he literally at one point made a CD called reality. And I was like, dad, are you actually saying like your version of reality is like reality, reality? And he was like, yeah, it's re- this is reality. I'm explaining reality. And so I thought that was kind of silly and um, that probably motivated me to want to um, make fun of this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The, um, the, it's uh, it's interesting because if you, I would, I mean, I grew up, I grew up a Jehovah's Witness, so I grew up with like you did. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so I was oh. knocking, I was knocking on doors, and I just oh, oh I'm gone now. Witness. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it was oh, brutal. Okay. <laughs> and and from all I understand, pulling away from it is really brutal because they what they disown you. They what's it called? Dis they disfellowship you. Yeah, disfellowship you, and like people won't even talk to you, and and family members won't talk to you. But off. But I cut yeah. I cut off in a big way because I wrote a book about it, and a film came out about it. So. <laughs> right. I knew this, Tony. I did. I because I, yeah. I read about you. Right. I did know this. So the uh, so that was kind of the big last cutoff where it was just like I lost a lot of family that would they it's the, as as far as they're concerned I'm dead to them, but 
but but um but it's intriguing because i like i would crave a new age uh growing up in a new age hippie type uh. in la i like the grass is greener right the grass is always greener it's just like oh my god i could have had granola and uh we could have like we could have listened to the vibrations of leaves and griffith Park. and just spend a lot of time talking about astrology and psychic phenomena and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't, the witnesses that that's that's pretty that's pretty intense stuff. You know, yeah. like um, no birthdays, no holidays, no, no nothing. Every no birthday, nothing. all through school, and even when I was older, if there was a birthday party in the class, I would have to leave and go to the library. They oh. what they do is they just make sure that they ostracize you that oh. that your that your uh, that your peers. Uh, make fun of you and if they make fun of you then that's persecution and it enforces oh, the belief that see we're yeah. right we told you they would be you would be persecuted it's uh yeah it's an ongoing now thing. let me see if i, I want to i'm not sure i understand this yeah is it actually 144,000 total are going to be saved and what happened is that it is that the max like it can't go any higher than that that's that's the ones that can go to heaven and then the rank and file rest of the jehovah's witnesses stay on earth after god destroys everyone on earth right and then the jehovah's witnesses get to rebuild and the 144,000 are are uh, are are essentially our governing office are, are unelected yet somehow God put put the wand of okay your Secretary of State your Mark <laughs> and is the hope that you're going to be one of those 144th I mean obviously you want to be you know part of the group that inherits the earth but it, it, are you hoping growing up are you encouraged to hope that you're going to be one of the one uh, 144th thousand well here's the here's what is it called the caveat they if you're if you're in heaven, you can't have sex. Yeah. If you're on always. earth, heaven's always like that. Yeah. If you're on earth, you can have sex. Oh, and well, who wants so, to be part of the 144? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the hey, you know, I used to get into that with my dad about the new age stuff because my dad, you know, all about life after death, life after death, life after death, heaven, 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 heaven. But no, no bodies in heaven, right? No, no physical, not corpore corporeal uh entities not and so no sex so you know per, what what were described as perfect sexless bodies i was like that doesn't sound perfect to me like no. well, how's that perfect i don't i don't get it you know of course you don't need to have sex right because you don't need to make children in heaven because that i guess would seem ridiculous because they're immortal or something but like why do you want to cut that out of your reality i don't get it wouldn't it be the other way around where it would be yeah. a 23 and a half hour orgasm and a, and a, and 30 minutes to have a power bar and some water. I suppose that's <laughs> what Islam's getting. That's what Muhammad's trying to sell. I mean, he's basically selling to his men, like, you know, virgins, a new virgin every day. I mean, that is, that's paradise. Paradise is you get as many, you know, virgins as you want. And what happens to them, those uh, girls after they've had sex once? I don't know. Are they restored to virginity or are they just somehow destroyed? It's not clear. My, I, I have a hard time with relationships with one woman. <laughs> 72 women is hell. <laughs> that is not heaven. That doesn't sound like heaven to me. No, no, no it sounds horrible. Especially, I'd be so, 
and I'd be just so insecure. I would just be like, well, I can't I, possibly, I can't, I, I, I like, I can't possibly take, you know, have sex with 72 women. This is ridiculous. I'm, I'm just me and I'm like insecure about sex. So how's this going to work? Exactly. And then, and then I would also feel bad because I'd be like, I'm so sorry. This is your introduction to sex. The first time's always kind of weird. And, it, and yeah. so it's going to take a lot of communication between us, you know, right. as, a, as she's just going, what are you talking about? Just, just put it in. Cause that's what Islam said. <laughs> yeah. And that's the end. Of, I think since she's no longer a virgin, that's that she's right. gone. And then you start over next time with somebody new. So like, that's weird too, but there's a lot of sex anyway what the women get out of it the women who go to paradise if any women do go to paradise i assume some do i don't know what they get out of it like good handsome looking dudes i guess but he never says that i almost feel male angels (laughs) i almost feel like there's like a there's like a pet rescue but for but for virgins who got unvirgined in heaven so there's it just keeps keeps growing and growing and they have the they have like there's the PETA part of it where they're like oh we got to euthanize these ver- uh, these you know and then there's the no kill shelter where it's just they're like how do we adopt these out <laughs> where where are the Mormons here I know the Mormons need, I know the Mormons like multiple let's try to like, get these to the Mormons I think this is a good idea I think you should suggest this to somebody <laughs> <laughs> not sure where they'll go for it but I think it's it's good it makes sense yeah. Sometimes I'm scared of. Wouldn't it be horrible if what I think is death is death? And not not just that, but like if we steer ourselves into what it is after, mm. you know. What do you think death is? <laughs> um, I'm still getting the grapple on it. I'm. I'm <clears throat> I was certain what death was for probably the first 25 years of my life. I was going to go straight to live forever. Right, Paradise Earth. Right, that, that shattered. <laughs> sure. Do then, you still? Is there still some party that thinks maybe that's going to happen? No, there's nothing that in me that thinks that's going to happen. Um, because if they are right, then I'm dead at Armageddon. If the Jehovah's yep. Witnesses are the ones, right, or who are I'm correct, destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Do you go to? Are you going to hell? Uh, no, they just you're just um, so. I am in the I am in the uh, the fiery what is it I'm I'm in Gehenna, I'll be in Gehenna the fiery uh, the fiery pit but I won't know I'll just be dead. Interesting. Yeah. So no. So is there no hell? There's no hell. Huh? The one the bad ones just get destroyed. Yeah, that's it. You're out. Well, it's less punitive. You know, it's less like, well, you're going to suffer, you get burned eternally for disagreeing with us. It is less punitive. I'll give it that. And, it, and it's also one of the selling points when you go door to door to talk to uh, people and, you, mm. and you, ex, you explain to them from the Bible. It's not, there's not eternal suffering in hell because mm. of blank. And, and then the people are like, that says that in the Bible as we do. No. And they're like, that sounds so cool. And then, and then you, then you kind of come in with the um, the finance charges and uh, yeah. <laughs> the balloon payment later, but that's. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think now? What do you think happens now when you die? I don't, you know, I really don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'll label myself as agnostic. Sometimes mm. I say I'm decaf agnostic because there's, I guess I spent so much of my life absolutely knowing, knowing, knowing why are we here? Knowing when we're going to die. Yeah, just, yeah. I knew. And yeah. there's such a beauty to going, I don't know. Yeah. 
What do you hope happens? 72 virgins. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I, I, you I, just I, get, <laughs> you just I want 73. Converter. I want 73. 73, yeah. Yeah. I want a prime number, actually. I don't want any numbers divisible by anything. So That's sophisticated. <laughs> yeah. I, as I'm asking for sex from 73 poor yeah. women. <laughs> well, like, what, would you, what, what would you want it to be? I mean, what, if you could somehow, t- Tony gets to pick what happens after. Uh, oh, if I got to pick? Yeah. Would you want to be reincarnated? Would you want to go to some kind of heaven? Would you? Okay, wanna... Well, see, reincarnation has to has all this karma stuff where I can end up being a cockroach. Sure. You know what I'm saying? It's or, yeah, or I, totally. I could be a bull. I, I could I could be a lone bull, and I could be a bull in a really good situation where I'm having sex with all the cows, or I could be a bull in Spain, and in the bullfight arena. You know, not a, such a good situation, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Depends where you come back. Not only what you come back as but where you come back well how do you feel about the idea of just you're dead the you you're you're gone and that's that how do you feel about that you know know, it still kind of scares me Mm. it scares everybody yeah it feels like a void it's it's Mm. um yeah i don't know and i don't know if it's because i'm trying to uh come to grips with what was uh drilled into me when i was young Mm. and where it's just like knowing 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 and then if it is nothing, then it's, it, it's, I mean, essentially when I left the Jehovah's Witnesses, it took time and I still thought they were true when I left, but I knew there was a huge problem. And it took yeah. about six years of me, like finally starting to research and going, oh, wait a second. This is really bad. This yeah. is not good. It took a long time uh, for, um, for it to cognitively hit. And I was in therapy for years too. So it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. But it, on, on the new age end, it's it, it's more about reincarnation. Would that be how you were brought up? Or um, there's a lot of reincarnation, but there's a lot of heaven. Mm. I mean, my dad absolutely believed in heaven and hell. But weirdly, and I never could understand this, but this seems to characterize a lot of new age thinking. I think, though, I'm I still don't understand it completely. But I think there's not really like a central god figure. In uh, it's almost like in Buddhism, you could sort of be an atheist and be a Buddhist. Um, you could sort of all because my dad was almost weirdly, I, n- I never understood how he could be an atheist, but by definition, there being no God, he kind of was. And I would say, Well, dad, I just don't understand. This is an unbelievably elaborate system, and his belief seemed to be that. that that souls kind of do it to themselves. They send themselves to hell. And then once they've burned off their sins, they send themselves to heaven. And then when they're ready to re-enter life, they re-enter life. It was something like that. So that's like a mishmash of almost everything. It kind of. Yeah. 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 He, 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 it was definitely a buffet style to it. Yeah. What, what would do, do you remember what he grew up as for him? to? He, oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He was a Christian scientist. He, oh, he grew wow. up. It's really interesting because because his whole family came from Norway. Right. Okay. He was Norwe- He was Norwegian. Like yeah. his parents were Norwegian, like didn't speak English when they showed up here like that version. Right. And uh, they were so constant. And I don't know this for a fact, but I think it's pretty likely they were Lutherans because almost mm-hmm. everybody in Norway was Lutheran. 
and Lutheranism is it, it, it is what it is. It's very kind of austere and it's kind of, it's, it's got a lot to do with just, we're bad. We're just bad. And we should, we really all deserve to go to hell. And it's only God's goodness that a few people escape hell. And so his mother in like 1910 or something in Brooklyn adopted, apparently rejected Lutheranism. This is my speculation anyway, and turned to Christian science because I get, which was very popular around the turn of the century. Wow. Christian science was the most, with the fastest growing religion in the United States from 1900 to 1930, it turns out, I, I discovered after doing a little research. So he grew up a Christian scientist, which is, you know, still Christian, but it's got this sort of, I mean, it's, it's, they, they, she, Mary Baker Eddy kind of runs with the healing thing, healing, healing, healing. That's, it's all the mind. It's all the mind. You don't ever need to go to a doctor, all your ailments, everything that ails you is just in your mind. And, um, and also the body's bad. The body's really bad. So my dad then rejects that and he turns to kind of, and he removes the Christian part because he's definitely not a Christian, but he's still very, very religious. And he turns to this book, which I'm sure you've never heard of. because It's very obscure, but it was his Bible. It's, a, it's a, a, one of these kind of turn of the century, early 20th century religious thinkers um, uh, who, uh, in the spiritualist movement. And the guy's name is Harold Percival. And Harold Percival wrote a book called Thinking and Destiny. And Thinking and Destiny it became my dad's Bible. And he believed in it absolutely. And I didn't know what to mean. And I finally read it when I was like in my late 20s, early 30s. And I was like, Dad, <laughs> how can you believe this? <laughs> how can you believe this? I don't understand. Uh, wow. The, um, yeah, the Christian scientist. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've interviewed one other Christian scientist, uh, Paul Feig. Who, uh, mm. who, uh, oh, was he a Christian scientist? He grew up Christian scientist, and he wrote a book about it. Um, really? Yeah. <clears throat> just um, it, it was a trip. <laughs> so, wait the, the the movie director? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. a he's. He's quite. He's, a, he's, he's not. He's a good, I mean, he's he's gone. He left. The uh, but his, he grew up as a kid. He, he grew up. He grew up in it. Okay. Yeah, he right. was in a strict Christian scientist uh, science um, family. Yeah, my dad told stories about like you know one time he's like ten years old and he just steps on a nail. You know, big nail, big rusty oh, nail. God. Yeah, and they're like, no, no, you're not going to the doctor. You know, Jesus will yeah. take care of it. And luckily, he didn't get. I don't know, what would you get tetanus or something and right. die and it, that's the way it was my next question to you before you told me that was going to be how the kids at school felt you had a one-legged dad <laughs> they they mocked me mercilessly <laughs> get him some wood get it get it get a wood and a <laughs> yeah yeah get him a piglet what so well, you're so you're in you're in los angeles you're in a um new age family what 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 uh how did you get into writing did, what, what well my dad was a right my dad was a writer oh he was? was a pretty well yeah yeah i mean he wrote i am legend and he wrote the shrinking man and mm. duel and twilight you know famous twilight zone episodes wow. he wrote like the thing on the wing and the twilight zone yeah there's know. a man on the wing of this plane. the man on the yeah the man on the wing yeah so i grew up 
in a, uh, with that. Uh, I was actually really close to my dad growing up and we spent a lot of time with him. And, and it just sort of, it got in there a little bit, just thinking about it and talking about it. And I would ask him a lot of questions and, and I didn't do it for a while. I, I wanted to not do it to, cause I didn't want to try to, I didn't want to just take the same path my dad had taken. And I didn't want to, I, I didn't on any level want to compete with my dad. Cause I didn't think I could compete with my dad. Cause he's a really famous, you know, writer. Um, so I tried acting and I tried directing and, but I just drifted towards writing cause it just sort of came naturally. And I started really doing it more seriously when I was probably in my mid twenties. Hmm. Were you, were you uh, um, I know you have, you have the screenwriting career. Were, were you, did you start out in screenwriting or was there? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I started off cause I was, I was like going to do theater. I was going to direct plays, which I liked, which I thought was fun, but I spent a pretty good amount of time directing a play months. Cause it does take months to, to do that. And then at the end of the day, like, I don't know, you know, 80 people saw it or something. And I, it just like, it, just almost nobody showed up and I thought I don't know I don't know I, I think I want to try to talk to more people and maybe mm, I thought comedy was better on film and I do actually think comedy is better on film uh so I, and I wanted to make comedy so so I, I yeah so I started I started writing movies and mm. um and uh that's all I did, really, until I wrote the, the story of God, which was only, I don't know, five, six years ago. So all I really did in terms of writing for 30 years was just write, write screenplays. And what was the first screenplay that got produced? What was? Uh, Bill and Ted. Oh, Bill it was. Excellent, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, yeah. Way to hit it out of the park. <laughs> yeah, that one, that, one, that one worked. For, that one worked. I, I've written... A, a ton of screenplays and most of them don't work and and for a bunch of good reasons a lot of them are, are no good at all but so when you, every now and then you get one that works it's nice you appreciate that it's like oh yeah that one worked pretty good so what i i watched bill and ted's when i was a jehovah's witness still and i you know i was still in it and i loved it i loved the film beyond belief and now i re now i watch it in a different way because i was because i feel like it was for me. It's kind of a film that's asking the big questions. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, I'm I'm reading way too deep into it then. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, how do you mean that? How do you? What do you mean? Well, I guess what I'm saying is, um, I didn't know. I didn't even know who Socrates was. I didn't know mm. philosophy. Mm. They, when I was introduced to these characters in the movie, these were all brand new concepts to me mm. because mm. my everything was. Either it was Bible, but Bible distilled through the Jehovah's Witnesses, and here's the characters of our lives, and that's it. Right, right. And so when anything brought up that was so-called worldly, that was outside of the Bible universe, uh, that, so that's probably why I read into it more, because it blew my mind, because it, it expanded huh. my knowledge, because I didn't even know what a philosopher was. I knew huh. the Apostle Paul, and right. I was like, well, that dude's all right. And then it's just like, wait a second, there's others? Wait, what? There's a, there's other truth. There's other people seeking truth that are that are trying to be truth tellers. What? That's kind of interesting. I never really thought of it before, but I guess that however many historical figures there are, seven or eight, I think two of them are 
philosophers because obviously Socrates and Freud is a oh. philosopher. So I never really thought of that, but um, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting angle on it. Well, you, 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 know, you shed some truth into me and then I got out of the Jehovah's Witnesses. So I'd like to thank you. No, oh, it's <laughs> <laughs> a long breath. I can, but I, I, but actually in all seriousness, there's these little things in life where you hit a movie, you listen to a song, you read a story yeah. and it's sure. sh- everything shifts and it's just, right. Right. it's just like, whoa. And it, it doesn't have to shift a lot. It's just a little bit of a nudge. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I totally agree with you. I understand that completely. I think for me, um, Blazing Saddles did that when I was, cause I was 15 years old when Blazing Saddles came out and I just kept going to see it. I just kept going and I had to get people to take me cause it was rated R. So I had to talk people into <laughs> taking me to see it, but I just, and I would pay for their ticket probably. Cause I just had to keep, there was something about Blazing Saddles that it was like so powerful and it made such a huge impression on me, which um, I think that's what you're talking about. Yes, yes, exactly. And it's so it's so intriguing how then how we would consume a movie because it's just like we had to keep going to the movie theater. And if you're underage, if you're under 17, you can't see yeah. movies. Right. I and you got to have someone go with you. And now it's just accessible to people. And then it, it, you know, especially like you know the kids. Um, it's just like with everything so accessible. It almost scares me because the the journey to discovery is kind of part of the whole thing. Uh, it's easier. It's shorter. Um, we had to work for it a little more. I don't know which of them. There's just different, I guess. If if I if Blazing Saddles had been available on television to just watch, I would have watched it a hundred times. You know, I, I. But back back then, like there was a movie that I just loved when I was five or six years old called. The Great Race, starring Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon. Have you ever seen it? No. Jack Lemmon played... I don't even know that it's that good, but I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. And I would just wait, and they showed it once a year. And I would just wait, you know? And that night was really important to me when they'd show it on, you know, the CBS Thursday night movie or whatever uh-huh. it was. And, I, and it, it was very precious to me. And now... You, whatever you want to watch pretty much you can just watch and it's different i, I don't know i don't i don't know it's what it's just going to shape personalities in a different way i guess yeah i, I think well i think everything i had access to when i when it became accessible i i, I drank it like you yeah. know, it was almost like nectar i was just like yeah. wait what's this wait what what's a what's a punk band ah oh. <laughs> just like you know i just so um yeah maybe yeah, i can see how from a from a young Jehovah's Witness standpoint, those messages from the other world could could be very powerful. Yeah, it's almost like a parallel universe, but I'm right in the middle of it. Do you did just I don't know, this is kind of personal. So did you did were you like dis did did you have disconnect from like close people? Like parents and siblings and so my pa- my parents still talk to me but my okay. uh my aunt and my cousin i just found out my uh aunt's um husband died a couple weeks ago and i was very close to my aunt and my cousins and they all became jehovah's witnesses and um i just I, it kind of blew my mind because i was like wow i can't even call her to give her a, uh you know to see see how she's doing and give my condolences i can't call my cousins to to see if they're okay and at the same time 
you know, they could find out that I've been chopped into three pieces and they're trying to stitch me back together and they're not going to get in touch with me because it's just, I'm already dead. I'm, I'm dead. I need to be out of their way so they can make it into paradise. And yeah. Are you, are you evil? Uh, with, with the book and the film, I labeled apostate. Apostate. Because and you're what? not... Well, you're not supposed to talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses outside of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And it's really hard for a lot of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses to even talk about it. Mm -hmm. Because if they talk about it, that brings them to the apostate side. Where if they don't talk about it, they got a pinky in there where they can go, you know what, I want to mm -hmm. get back in. But mm -hmm. if, if you talk about it to someone, say, worldly like yourself, and mm -hmm. then you broadcast it on a podcast, that's just, that's just slapping Jehovah right in the eyeball. It's bad being an apostate. It's really right? bad. Like, yeah. really, like really bad. It's like being a heretic or a blasphemer or, yes. or maybe a, it's really, really bad. What happens to apostates? Uh, they, uh, I am not sure what the philosophy is now because they... Um, There's no hell, so you can't change. be punished. Yeah, yeah, that. no, you just, you just die. You just, you just die, but are you supposed to... I mean, should you in a different time... I mean, would you be you know uh caught and 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 killed i mean is that what at a, pre at a previous time happened to apostates no i think it was well probably but not in the jehovah's witnesses what they do is they just silently ignore you to death got it okay that's the thing right <laughs> right 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 there's heavy there's a, man. heavy that's heavy that is really heavy shit yeah but i i at the same time i got weird gratitude about it because i got to i got to do something with it and right. and it's right. uh, and I'm lucky that I got to do something with it. Some of some people I know didn't get off so lucky. They they couldn't make it through it. They had a, you know, there's a lot of suicide that happens, and it's you got to get over those humps. And then it's just like, oh wait, oh you know this experience is okay. And and the and the Jehovah's Witnesses who would never read my book or watch my movie, they don't realize it's it's actually a love letter to myself. Everything was a love letter to to, to going. You know what? that was okay. And I'm just, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to put this in a little different context than the angry one who mm -hmm. left and put the middle finger in the air. Mm -hmm. And I want to have a little bit of um, the, the nuances of why people come up with stories. Why come right. up with Why come up with a heaven and hell? Why, mm -hmm. why do we have to try to grasp this? And then that's when like mythology comes in and I was just like, Oh, mythology makes so much sense. Cause it's, mm -hmm. Some of it's just as crazy as the religious mythology. It's mm -hmm. it's just people trying to um, trying to grapple with what we are, mm -hmm. and we don't know what we are. Right, makes sense of our brief time here. Yeah, and the fact that we die, and yeah. how to make how to how to make any sense of it. Right. Yeah. Um, is, do you still believe in God? No, I don't. I believe I here's my here's my agnostic uh, vibe. <laughs> I I I think there's something and when I like when I look at nature, when yeah. I when I when I see things around me, I know something larger is at play. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. I, I sound like such a hippie kid in college right now. That's all right. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with those sentiments though. But, but it's just like I I don't need to know. That that's the beauty of what um what I kind of finally gave myself permission to go, you know what? Yeah. I don't need to know. Cause I mean, we were shoving it down people's throats, knocking on doors mm -hmm. three times a week, um, telling them what we knew and they had to come to our side. Right. 
now I don't want anyone to come to my side. My side's kind of mm. depressing. I'm, I, I veer toward a depressed fella. I'm not right. going to knock on your door and go, <laughs> come on. Hey, join me. Yeah. <laughs> join me. <laughs> you know, I think there's something really deep in what you're saying, which is, and that they are all missing out on, on the other side, and that it pertains to mystery and how beautiful mystery is and how wonderful mystery is. And if you like art or you like comedy, mystery is just built, built into it. Things just are strange and kind of from our standpoint, inexplicable and surprising as hell. And that's kind of wonderful. And the idea that you'd know really what's happening here why would you do that to yourself? You're, you're, you're cutting yourself off from the deepest sources of joy and actual meaning, meaning that maybe you can't describe, you couldn't, you couldn't even put it into it's sort of ineffable stuff, but is real. And, and I, I'm with you. I feel it when I'm in nature. And, and I mean, that's when I feel it very powerfully. Yeah. Yeah. Back to you. <laughs> well, um, so about six years ago, you said, "Okay, I'm, I'm going to write. I, I'm I'm going. I'm getting off of screenplays. I want to write a book." What, what was mm-hmm. what, what was the uh, what was the genesis of that? What was the what was the, I need to go this way now? What was I guess? You mean the, the 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 turning to books? Yeah, or, yeah. More, or that book in particular? No, just turning to books. But if you have an answer for that book in particular, it'll make it sound like my question was much better than it was. <laughs> well, it's a two, it's a two part question. Tony, so let me address part one. First. Oh my God! Thank you. Okay, go. <laughs> I've been doing the screenplay thing for a long time, and uh, you know you've you've done movie writing and it's, it's a, it's a, a friend of mine once said, it's either, it's either the, the worst great job or the best bad job. It, Cause it's just kind of both, you know, like your movies are great. Movies are a great art form, but you're just kind of making a map for other people to take a voyage is how it turns out. And sometimes they're very respectful of the map that you've made. And, and sometimes they're not at all. And they just stomp over, you know, they just do whatever they want. Um, I just felt like I wanted to do something different. I'd done it for, for quite a long time. And I was just sort of, I just, it's all done. Sort of like, I just didn't really want to do it anymore. And uh, in terms of part two of your question, Tony, <laughs> your, um, I had this fascination with the Bible. I just thought the Bible was fantastically interesting and I just kept finding myself drawn back to it. And, uh, and, and as time went by, the, the comedy writer part of me just was loving it, absolutely loving it. Cause I thought this is the greatest piece of found comedy ever. It's just laying here on the ground. And there's just one ridiculous thing after another in this book. It's, it's, just, it's just craziness from beginning to end, pretty much, that doesn't make sense. And then I started looking at the, the main character, the lead, God, who's all powerful. <laughs> and he shows all this, right? He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's 
he's and he's all good and yet nothing he does seems to work he always seems to be mad he's always doubling back on himself he makes one bonehead error after another he's enraged he's he seems impotent he's a braggart he's a fool and i thought wow you know if i could stitch this together and write his story try to make sense of it like i used to play this game with my mom when i was a kid and maybe it's a game a lot of kids play i don't know or maybe it's something she made up and it's really simple where you would just you would just very quickly make a few marks on a piece of paper you know a circle just nothing um just random marks and then you'd hand it to the other person and they'd have to make something out of it by essentially sort of connecting the dots. But more than that, because there's no real dots to connect, you're making something, you're finding something in it. And I couldn't draw or do anything. So I'd usually end up just making a goofy face. That's what I, that's all I was capable of. But it was, it got, it would just, I liked it. And I thought it was really fun. And I thought if I could just, if I could stitch this together and make it a character, like who would this guy have to be? If the Bible's true, if it's if everything in it is true, which is the claim uh, that at least a lot of people make, um, if it's all true, who does this guy have to be to make sense? And I just thought that was, I, I, I liked that. Once I thought of that, I thought, oh yeah, I, I think I can write this. That's funny. It's, it's a lonely place to be. You have no, you, <laughs> oh, you have no friends yeah. you could sit there and talk with and go, you know, that smiting I did today, I'm not so sure that was a good smite. He's got nobody. He's about <laughs> as alone as you can be. He's got no parents. Remember, he's got no parents. He's got no siblings. He, he has no wife. He has no friends. He has a son who he murders deliberately, and he has an enemy. And that's all he has. And I thought, wow, that's brutal. That's just absolutely brutal. And it made him interesting to me. And I, and I got to the point where, weirdly, I felt sorry for the character. And then I thought, well, this is going to be much... Because I don't. there's a lot of books sort of just mocking the Bible, just taking, you know, and it's easy because there's lots of silly stuff. And they're just taking pot shots and being snarky. And, and I, I didn't want to do that. I, didn't, I don't like that kind of comedy. And I thought, I want to try to get inside this character if I can and find his you know humanity for lack of a better word but it's not hard to do because he's so human scaled he's such a they say oh he's mysterious and God works in but no, he's not actually <laughs> he couldn't be more he's right there he's so human he's he's petty and he's jealous and he's insecure and he's got an anger problem and he's volatile and he's all that so Anyway, that's that's what led me to write that first God, the story of God. I re it, this is something I find this this is kind of in my journey when I write about some like I'll write about someone that I just angers me and disgusts me to no end, yeah. and I'm like I'm gonna get them in this story. I'm gonna get them, and I start writing that character, and I find the humanity and the I start to empathize with the character, right? right. And and I think that's where the beauty of a real three-dimensional character comes from oh, even totally. a god character if we got to stick totally. it to him we got to get in his shoes and then totally. then it's a, then you develop a weird empathy for them that's right you feel the pain and you feel the hurt and that changes your relationship with them and um you know honestly 
I think that book's, I'm probably not, I'm not supposed to say this, but uh, it's true. That first God book is just way better than the Buddha book, which I just published, it turns out. <laughs> it's but, just buy, but buy them both. Just buy them yeah, both. Yeah, buy them both. I think the Buddha book's pretty funny. Actually, and if you don't know anything about Buddhism, it's kind of an eye opener what they actually believe. So it's, I think it's fine, but I couldn't find his pain. He just seemed, he's just, smug and uh self-important from all the time everything he says everything that happens all the time and so there's i couldn't and so i thought well i'll just have him hurt the other characters and which he does and i'll you know i'll sort of feel their pain his son his wife his friend everybody you know he hurts and he does but that doesn't work the same way as when your central character is in pain because when your central character is in pain, in a way you're kind of onto something. And also you can write more personally because look, I mean, I'm in pain. So it allows me to express some of that. Yeah. Are, are, what, what are you working on now? Are, I, I, we're in pandemic. So I know working on anything feels like, well, for me, it's really hard. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I thought, I thought this life was hard before this. I can't go to a cafe and be irritated by people and then come home and write about it. What? Yeah, right. It's, it's, it's a whole different deal, isn't it? Um, I'm sort of finally getting to well, wanting to write about the new age thing and my dad and my relationship with my dad, which broke because of the, because he was essentially an evangelical Christian and I was an atheist and we were very, very, very close for 20 years. And it at least played a big role in sort of mm, not just yeah, kind of, kind of just destroying our relationship. So, um, I'm going there. I'm, I'm writing about that. It's, it's not easy to go there. No, no, it's not. It's, it, there's a lot there. It's rich. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. Uh, I think almost anybody, um, you get them talking about the family they grew up in. There's a lot. There's a lot there. Your parents, your siblings, your, your, you at a young age. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot there, but it's not necessarily fun to write right. about. No, it's, yeah. yeah. I love it when people go, oh, it must have been therapeutic to, to write that. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. It was like scars. I was just gashing open and letting bleed out again. Mm. It's not fun. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's craft. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not that fun. Yeah. But in the end, but in the end it's beautiful. And like you said about regarding the screenwriting and the, uh, the writing the book. So the, the book has your name on it. You're ultimately, yeah. you are ultimately responsible for everything that's terrible in it and everything that's great. Yeah, I, I like that. You know, I, I like a movie is ends up being the work of literally hundreds of people. And the writer is important for sure. The writer is sort of the start if they made it up. Um, but directors are the key player. Uh, and not to mention the actors and the designers and the composer and, and just everybody, so many people. And a book, that's one of them. That's, that's, just, that's just one person. And so that, that can feel um, very meaningful. I got I to say before we end, 
I really loved the um, last uh, Bill and Ted film. They oh, thanks. that you went with. <clears throat> I was like, oh dear lord, they're gonna go. They're gonna try to make old guys look young. They're gonna mm. put them in young situations. No, you made them dads. Yeah. And, they, and it's just like, of course, that's that's where it needed to go. They needed to be dads. Yeah, I'm glad you felt that. We 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 felt strongly that well, it couldn't be them. We knew we knew that you know this. Uh, it couldn't be them because if it was them, we, we just there was no story. There was no comedy, and and uh, Ed and I both had have kids and thought. Oh, it's their kids. It's their kids, and that's what they come to realize. And and we we liked that. And and Alex and Keanu were on board with that from the start. They got that that was the way we had to go. They got that we didn't want them to just still feel like we didn't want them to feel like overgrown boys, fifty year old boys. That would be pathetic. They had to have grown up. They had to be kind of like men who were having a hard time, struggling. And still them, still Bill and Ted, but not, you know, just like, like, I don't know, like those later Marx Brothers movies or those later Laurel and Hardy movies where you're just like, oh, I love (laughs) these guys, but damn, man, you know, you just, you can't keep going to that well. It's it's like, it's sad more than funny. Yeah, there's just, and there's a beauty to the, we have to grow up. If we see these characters yeah. try to try to be what they were thirty years ago, uh, it wouldn't make any sense. So, yeah, we have to grow up. That's yeah. right. On that note, that's a great way to end. Chris, but, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it was fun, Tony. I enjoyed really enjoyed talking to you. Chris Matheson on Drinks with Tony. Check out his new book, The Buddha's Story. Next week on the show, we have Daniel Pine. He and we chat with him about his book, Water Memory. February 10th, I'm teaching a free creative writing workshop online. I'll post the link at TonyDuchesne.com, and that is presented by the Los Angeles Public Library. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next Wednesday.